We're going to continue this morning on, in our uh, series in Revelation. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 6. We've been introduced into the throne room of God. We've been spending week after week after week in the throne room of God. It's been an exciting place. The atmosphere is electric. There's songs of praise. There's worship filling the air. It's a powerful place. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, has appeared. The only one worthy to open the seals, to break those seals and to open that scroll. The scroll which, the scroll which will have within it that which is going to restore this planet to what it was meant to be in the, in the beginning. God's amazing rescue plan is about to begin. And then we come to chapter 6, and we would, if, if, if you didn't know what was in chapter 6, you think, I know what's there. What's there is the glorious answer. Everything's going to come right in chapter 6. Wouldn't you think so? Let's read it. The seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. And when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. And when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. In verse 7, when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say come and I looked and there before me was a pale horse its rider was named death and Hades was following close behind him and they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword famine plague and by the wild beasts of the earth and when he opened the fifth seal I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained and they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy one and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed, <laughs> this is exciting, this bit, who were to be killed as they were, has been completed. And I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great here. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as the late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. And the sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man, free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Well, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting God to sort of wave something and do a little something or other and everything just to be sorted. But we read this. Instead of what we're expecting, this great climax, we seem to be plunged into greater darkness. The dark powers of evil now begin to take center stage on the earth. And what we need to understand about the book of Revelation is it's a symbolic version of the cosmic struggle over the deeply wounded souls of men and women. 
That's what we see in the book of Revelation. God unveil, un, uh, unveiling to us that struggle for the souls of men. And it's not a struggle, it's unopposed. Nothing we do as God's people is unopposed. Even though Jesus died on the cross for us, that which we win in salvation is not unopposed. And like with a serious illness, healing can only come when the root is exposed, the root of the problem. You go to the doctor. Got a few doctors, a couple of doctors in Amherst. Got some nurses. You go for some treatment. Now, you can't get the right treatment until the problem is exposed. Otherwise, they're just shooting in the dark. Isn't that right? You go to the doctor and they prescribe this pill and that pill because they're guessing, right? But when they finally know what it is, they can get it right. And what we find happening in the book of Revelation is that gradually, 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 the, the, the root of the problem on this planet is exposed for what it is. And that's what we see beginning to happen from verse 6 onwards. Things have to come to the light before the heavenly surgeon can perform the operation. And whether we like it or not, things have to get worse before they're going to get better. This isn't very positive. I want to go home. We finish on a good note. Don't worry. So when the Lamb of God opens the seals, binding up the scroll, the boil of sin is lanced. And we find everything that's underneath begins to come to the top. What's lurking deep within the heart of this world is exposed once and for all for what it really is. Sin's brought to the surface to do its worst. And I want to read from, keep your finger in verse, uh, chapter 6 of Revelation. We're going to go to Matthew 13. We're going to flick over to Matthew a couple of times this morning because we need to understand this in the context of what Jesus taught. In Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30, Jesus told a parable. Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Jesus then told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you see sow good seed in your field? Where then did, then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them all up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them, grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The point of this whole thing is, Jesus is saying, let them both grow together together until the harvest. What he's saying is the good is going to get better, but the bad is going to get worse. Side by side, little by what your theology is, but if it's not that, you better change it. Both side by side, growing, maturing. Evil will mature as we get closer to the end, and so will good. Side by side. The weeds and the wheat mature together side by side until they're ready for harvest. In Revelation chapter 6 to 16, we see the maturing process of the other. 
we see the maturing process of the best and worse. And mat that maturing process is shown in graphic symbolism. It's in pictures. It's not, it's not literal. It's picture form. But we see this process going on. We shouldn't be phased by it. When we see things happening on this planet, we shouldn't be phased by them. We shouldn't be phased when there's a virus breaking out in China. We should expect this stuff. We should expect there to be wars and rumors of wars. We should expect there to be earthquakes, not because we're negative, not because we've got a, we've got a, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Don't think, oh, what's going wrong? It's not going wrong. It's going right, people. It's the way it's going to finish. It's got to finish somehow, and it's going to finish this way. And we find mankind inspired by every demon from hell is launched into wave upon wave of torment and destruction. That's the way God said it's going to be. So, oh, I'm praying for revival. I'm praying for this whole world to change. I've got news for you. That's going to happen. But it's going to happen this way. So in Revelation chapter 6 through to chapter 16, and this is just a little bit of teaching for you because we're not going to do this stuff in detail. Too dreary, it's too negative, and it'll drive you all to distraction and to drink probably. We're just going to go over it really quickly. There are three sets of seven judgments that come upon the earth in chapter 6 through to 16. Each of them similar, similar in form but in different intensity. There's seven seals. The seven trumpets, the seven bowls. And this is the kind, this is the part of Revelation you stop reading. You go, oh, what, what's he talking about? Seven, se seven trumpets, seven bowls, what? Speak English. Now, what we need to understand is these three, if you look in chapter six, you see the first seal is opened, the second seal is opened. When the seventh seal is opened, the trumpets start. So the seven trumpets are actually within the seventh seal. And so seven trumpets sound. When you get to the seventh trumpet, seven bowls are poured out. They are within the last trumpet. So those trumpets and those bowls are all in that last seal. So in chapter 6, you've got the whole thing, bang, done and dusted. Those other bits are all subsets of the seventh seal. So Revelation 6, verses 12 to 14, shows the end of all things. All done and dusted, finished at the end of chapter 6. And then chapter 7 onwards takes you back and shows you some more of the details. What We, we, we get all flawed because we, we see chapter six, 7 comes after chapter 6, so it has to be in, probably in chronological order. That's just the way our Western mind thinks, but it's not the way it's written. Because chapter 12 takes you right back to the beginning of time. It's not in chronological order. And that floors us a little bit. And we think, oh, this has got to happen after this. I'm waiting for this to happen because this can't happen until that's happened. That's not the way it is. It's symbolism and it's showing you this planet, finally the lid being taken off and what's there underneath coming out. So these chapters 6 through to chapter 16 mainly cover the events taken from Christ's first coming to Christ's second coming. When are they going to happen? All through. In fact, probably all of them have happened several times already 
in various generations. I'm sure the World War II generation could see most of these things in their lifetime. I'm sure those who are in the Holocaust saw these things happening in their lifetime. I'm sure those during the Dark Ages saw those things happening in their lifetime, and the early church definitely saw these things happening in their lifetime. They have happened generation after generation after generation after generation, and they're happening in our generation now. So we can expect to see things beginning to happen in the world in increasing intensity. What things? uh, Revelation chapter 6 tells us. Verses 1 and 2, the white horse. The white horse speaks of war. We can expect to see war on this planet in ever-increasing ways as we get closer towards the end. Politicians ask for peace. Peace cannot be obtained by politicians. War is what people do when they're fallen. They fight each other. So war breaks out over and over across this earth. Then you've got chapter 3, uh, verses 3, you shouldn't fight one another, fighting one another. And then you've got the black horse carrying scales, famine. What's the result of war? Starvation. We do it to ourselves. And then you've got the pale horse, pestilence, violent death, people dying through all sorts of things. And then you've got the next seal, the martyrs underneath the altar, persecution. Open your papers. <laughs> look, look online. Go to Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan, China. Persecution is rife. Probably more people have died for their faith these days than they have in other generations. And lastly, in verses 12 to 17, you will earthly and cosmic upheavals, earthquakes, and they come, all, all different things come through Revelation. You've got, you've got huge hailstones, seeing those already today. And in Matthew chapter 24, we have the overview of this process. So if you can't understand Revelation, read Matthew 24, because it's in plain English for you. Verses 1 to 25, Jesus left the temple, and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth, not one. Now as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? They asked him three questions. When will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They asked three questions. He gives one answer. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Has that happened already? Yes, over and over and over. You will hear of what's happening over and over. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Have we seen those things happening? Are we seeing those things happening? Yes. They've been happening for 2,000 years. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Is that happening? Not to us, but it is happening to people right across this planet. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. 
At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And then he moves on and says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. By the way, that happened in their lifetime. Caligula set up up a pig on the altar. There's no altar there now. The temple's gone. That's already happened. It'll probably happen again. And he talks about Get out of there because it's not going to be a very good time. In verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will have, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. And we could keep reading, but we won't. That's an overview of the whole, whole process. All of Revelations contain within those few verses. They ask Jesus the question, what's it going to look like before the end? How do we know the end is coming? He said, you'll know the end is coming when you see these things. And people, we've been seeing these things for 2,000 years, but we will see them in increased intensity. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just trying to get you real. We need to be real. When we, when we look at the news at 6 o'clock or whenever you watch the news, if you watch the news, when you look at, your, look at your phone and you look at the news on your phone, if you look at the news on your phone, if you read a newspaper, whatever, if you see things happening around you, don't be upset when you see these things happening. Jesus said they would happen. So what? This is what I want to get to. That's why I've rushed. What's the the point of all these dark things being revealed to us? What is the point of, of it being exposed to us in this symbolic form? What is God trying to do to us? What is he trying to do within us? Because there's something this early church needed to learn, and there's something that we need to learn. There's something we need to get hold of if we're going to stand firm in these days. And to find out what the point is, we need to go back to who he's writing to. What? The church. It's not written for the world. It's not written for non-Christians. It's written for you and I. He's writing to the seven churches in Asia. He's writing to the church. It's a church that's struggling under the effects of sin in the world they're living in. It's a church that's struggling and being tempted to compromise under the pressure they're in. And this message is being the messages they need to get hold of if they're going to stand and if they're going to persevere in the days in which they live. And we need to catch hold of those same things if we're going to stand and we're going to persevere in the things which we experience. So what's his message? In Revelation 7, verse 10, I've lost it. Here it is. It says, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And verse 12, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders asked me, these are white robes, who are they? And so on and so forth. What's the first message we get through the book of Revelation? God is on 
the throne. It doesn't matter what is happening around you, God is on the throne. It doesn't matter what is happening on this planet, God is on the throne. He has not lost the plot, he's still there. He hasn't given up, he hasn't washed his hands of us, he's still on the throne. Through all of this stuff in Revelation 6 through to 16, we find God still on the throne. God reigns. And when we have difficulties in our life, the first thing we need to remind you having a hard time, but God reigns. He's still on the throne. I might not feel like it, but it's true. Because it's not our feelings that count, it's the truth that counts. And the thing that this early church needed to understand, and the church of the 21st century needs to understand, is that God reigns. In the middle of a coronavirus, God reigns. We can live in fear. We can live worrying, oh, what's going to happen to me? God reigns. And he's going to sort this mess out. The next thing Revelation is given to us for is to teach us how we should respond because God reigns. Revelation 12, 10 to 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser, our brothers who accuses them before our God, day and night, has been hurled the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, and so on and so forth. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Because God reigns, we are not victims on this planet. You are not a victim of the things you are going through. We are not victims to what happens on this earth. We have the authority over those things that would seek to come against us. He says they overcame and they didn't love their lives to the death. You are not a victim. No matter what you have been through, and I'm not belittling that, you are not a victim. You have authority in Jesus' name to stand and to persevere. You have authority to walk forwards. I think too many of us lie down and just take what's happening. Oh, oh, poor me. <laughs> Tough. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, sometimes it's dark, but they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You can stand through this stuff in Jesus' name if you so choose. We are not victims. God is on the throne. And because he's on the throne, we can then rule and reign by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And lastly, Revelation chapter 13 through to chapter 14 basically tells us the beast and the world he controls. You know, the temptation can be to begin to fit in with what's going on around us. That's what the whole mark of the beast thing is all about. Are you going to imbibe? Are you going to take in what this world offers? Or are you going to stand for Jesus? Who do we stand for? Who are we focusing on? Am I focusing on the fact that there's a new virus? Am I focusing on the fact that, that, that things are, might fall apart financially? Am I focusing on the fall? Oh, where's summer? I have been focusing on that a bit lately. But does that, fill, does that fill our attention? 
or do we shift our attention to where it really needs to be on the one who rules and reigns? Who are we going to worship? Who are we going to focus on? Who are we going to live for in the middle of whatever we come across? And that's the whole thing of Revelation. It doesn't matter what, who are you going to live for? Who are we going to stand for? Because we won't stand unless we make that clear. We won't stand unless we get that deep within our spirits. I live for Jesus. You know that song we sang last week, I've decided to follow Jesus. We used to sing that as, as new Christians when I was 16, way, way, way back before Jesus started. Long time ago, I've decided to follow Jesus. I remember singing that song. We're not going to sing that, by the way. I, I, remember, I remember singing that song and thinking, God, I have decided to follow you. No matter what comes my way, I choose you. No matter what goes on in my life, I choose you. I'm lonely as blazes. I haven't got a friend on the planet, and it was like that. But God, I choose you. I choose to stand for you. I choose to live for you. I choose to give my future to you. I choose to lay my life to have decided to follow you and no turning back. And that's the way I've lived my life for the last I don't know how long. Because I made a decision that no matter what goes on around me, my God reigns. And therefore I'm not a victim. And I can live that way because I've decided to follow you. I've decided to put my eyes on you. I've just chosen you above all others. And that's the way it's going to be. A redirected focus. And I think the challenge to us this morning is, number one, do we really believe that God reigns in the middle of this stuff? Where's your God this morning? How big is he? Is he a little wee tiny little God in a bottle? Or is he the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of all this stuff? And one day he's going to come and he's going to, the water's going to be all gone. All the mercury and the fish is going to be all gone. You're going to be able to eat tuna again. This world's going to be cleaned up one day. Revelation tells us, at the end of the book, you win. But there's a process to go through. And I need to determine in my mind, God reigns in the middle of this stuff. God reigns. If it's going well for me, God reigns. If it's not going well for me, God reigns. And because he reigns, I'm not a victim. I can stand. I can do something about this stuff. I can do something about some of these things. I can speak to some of the storms and say, get out of here. And if they don't listen, I keep going anyway. <laughs> and I can do that because I redirect my focus off my stuff and off what's going on around me onto him and who he is. And when my focus is filled with the God who reigns, praise God, I can't lose. kill the body but they can't take the spirit away you can't lose I want to finish with Revelation chapter 11 if we could have the worship team back up we're going to sing Lion and the Lamb Whoa, finish before 11.30 how's that 15 the seventh angel sounded his trumpet 
and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The stuff that you see around you one day, it's going to become the total kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The stuff that's pulling you down right now, one day it's going to disappear in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will reign now. It's got to start within our choices now, in our circumstances now. Who will we direct our focus on now? Who will we declare reigns now? For whom will we stand now? In Jesus' name.